Hi, I'm Jason Sachs. Welcome to Classic Comics Cavalcade. This week, my special guest is Chris Claremont. Well, kind of Chris Claremont. See, I had a chance to go to the Washington State Summer Con this summer, and Mr. Claremont had a uh, panel discussion in which he talked about his long and interesting career, and I asked him a question during the discussion, and I thought, you know, no one else is posting this conversation online, so I'm going to post the whole thing here to Classic Comics Cavalcade. So I hope you enjoy the chat. My question was about... Yeah, okay. It's the most me question ever. It's about Sovereign Seven, which is his big book from the 1990s. Big being a, uh, I don't know, maybe an inaccurate turn of phrase there. His most uh, his most uh, loved book in the 1990s, at least by him. Um, anyway, that's the question I ask him. Most of his conversation here is kind of a rant, you could say, about... Um, the X-Men movies. This was shortly after Dark Phoenix premiered and received its, of course, uh, rotten reviews. And Chris had a lot to say about that. Um, anyway, I hope you really enjoy it. That sounds a little bit off, especially at the beginning, but I think you get used to it and it's a fun conversation. So I hope you enjoy and thanks for listening. So 
for a lot of these countries. And they were trying to figure out how to settle all this and sort it all out. And they real, the realization hit somebody in, in management that I, somehow over the last 40 years I've created somewhere close to or north of 500 characters, of which approximately 30 were A-list. <laughs> and if they weren't signed, properly signed over, it could be a shambles. So we've been playing, you know, we sorted that out. So I've created a whole lot. <laughs> you know, it's like suddenly discovering, getting a, uh, $5 creator's bonus for a uh, character that I created for uh, Powerfuss who appeared in Jessica. No, he appeared in, uh, I guess, Luke Cage. Like, wow, where'd that come from? Well, this character was created by you. Yeah, I was in like two episodes of, of How Come I've Never Seen It? <laughs> oh, didn't you get a DVD? Marvel <laughs> 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 is very concerned with the distribution of complementary copies. It's really But it's sort of like, you know, I created this character. Well, let's see. Carol Danvers, you know, first I got Wow. 
royal pay. <laughs> Which I understand why he doesn't want to do it anymore. It, the, the reasons are fairly obvious. But the question I have is, I sat through the Wolverine, and it seems to me yeah. the whole thing. <laughs> don't, don't start. <laughs> the first two acts were cool. The minute he got on the motorcycle, he's <laughs> like, hot. I'm going to attack the ninja stronghold. I'll just walk straight down the road. I'm thinking, you guys are really hard up for a bunch of archers. <laughs> he just doesn't want to, you know, hurt. Because I was thinking of doing it the way Frank and I would have done it, which is he outsneaks the ninja. He's ducking in and out of buildings and taking them out as enthusiastically as they're trying to take him out. But that's just me. So it's like he does he does his scene, and I'm standing there and. Because I'm feeling like a brat. I said, you, I've got this great idea. You know, you want the Olivier for Oklahoma. You're a you're a musical comedy star. Hallie can sing. So why don't just for the hell of it, you and Hallie do a song and dance number in the middle of the film? Just don't take the edge off. And he looks at me and says, No. <laughs> and because I'm too stupid to live, I try to get. Come on, it'll be wonderful. No. <laughs> and because I'm really too stupid to live, I say, fuck you. And the next thing I know, as he says no, there are these six claws in his hand. And I have no idea where the fuck they came from. They're just there. And, you know, it's like, they didn't look like prosthetics. <laughs> and he just says, no! <laughs> so, you don't backtalk. <laughs> so, no, I mean, I had... The film essentially was the film, the story that, that John and I wrote. It's just that the edges have been muffled. So instead of it being the Carter administration, it's the Nixon administration. Instead of it being Kitty, it's Hugh. Um, and for some reason, Mystique is running around all through it. And but you know who cared? Because for us, for me anyway. The story was not the past. The story what was, happen was what was happening in the future. And the story in the future was essentially the story that John and I told, right down to everybody getting killed. So, cool. You know. Um, I, the, the primal piss-off I had with that is what happened after the last scene, which is if you, I assume you've all seen Days of Future Past? Yes. Good. <laughs> but the post-credit moment is uh, Sinister, Sinister's Goonies showing up and looting uh, Alkali Lake. <laughs> but the thing that made my head explode was Apocalypse and Dark Phoenix being set in the past because, dude, we just went through a whole film where we established that 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 um, oh, Michael Fassbinder and um, McAvoy. yeah, James McAvoy. Thank you. For some reason, I keep thinking it's them. Are the are the younger iterations of Charlie and Magneto. Which I can sort of accept 
for Apocalypse because that's in the 80s. But the minute you get up to 1996 with uh, Dark Phoenix, it's like, wait, you're telling me that between 1996 and 2000, McAvoy turns into Patrick Stewart? <laughs> <laughs> and Pathfinder turns into Ian McKellen? I'm aware that Ian McKellen is more mature. <laughs> they, were, they were rough four years. What did the administration do? No war. We had no debt. We were making money. In this universe, it was a rough four years. <laughs> try it, try it. <laughs> but see, it could have been done so much simpler. simpler. Yeah, there could have been a much simpler resolution. So here you have the secret life of comics. So this is my, this is the way I would have done it. So he comes out and he says, Gene, Scott. I mean, look. Hey, hey, Scott, you're alive. <laughs> and then Gene says, and Logan, this is our daughter, Rachel. And out steps Sophie. I was like, that's cool. Oh, no, yeah, it gets better. <laughs> so, we run the credits. Everybody's cool. The light, you know, the sound goes down. Focus in on the mansion. And suddenly, Gene has a nightmare. What is her nightmare? She's a telepath, just like Charlie. She's read Logan's mind, just like Charlie. Remember when he said, the history I remember may not be the history you remember? Well, she's just tuned in on that. And what does she see? She sees the last five minutes of X3, leaving aside the fact that it's a deadline. <laughs> <laughs> Including the fact that he puts both sets of claws through her gut. Yeah. And she comes back again and never mind goes through all the Logan movies as well. So she turns evil and he kills her. And she's like, what <laughs> And suddenly, there's all this energy crackling around. And Scott, of course, being Scott, is fast asleep, clueless. So she jumps up and she follows the energy trail down the hall to Rachel's room. And she looks in at Rachel. And Rachel's lying there. And the energy is swirling around her and coalescing. Into an iteration of the Phoenix. And Gene's going, What the hell? Are we going to walk? So, no, we're not done yet. <laughs> Two years later, Apocalypse, set in 2016, not 1984. You take all the school kids from the first, from the, the, the 84 version, you stick them in the present day. Who cares? You get, you take Quicksilver, you put him in the present day. Wait, why isn't he 40 years older? Because he's Quicksilver, he outruns time. <laughs> why not? It's plausible. No. No, this is cinema. <laughs> Comic books make sense. Cinema looks good. <laughs> if it's so, you go through all of those shenanigans with, with Apocalypse. But he's not after Charlie. Charlie's old. In his mind, Charlie is James McAvoy with hair. So James McAvoy is his telepathic analog that beats the shit out of everybody, but doesn't have to be here physically. 
what he's after, what Apocalypse is after, is G. So he grabs G. He's about to do, I'm going to shave your head and be a woman for the next 50 years. G's going to fuck with that. <laughs> so everyone comes to the rescue. We have the usual blah, blah, blah fight. Wait, why is Michael, Michael Hussbinder young? Because he's Magneto. Who cares? <laughs> you know, it's like, this is where Ian McKellen takes a sabbatical and comes back as Michael Fassbinder. Huh? Read the comics, you'll understand. <laughs> he just rejuvenated himself. It's back in the So this is where Sophie comes into her own, manifests the Phoenix, fries uh, Apocalypse, who, by the way, when you have that good an actor playing the villain, you should do something more than just back and forth across the screen and saying stupid dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> beat the shit out of some people just for the fun of it. Or seduce some people just for the fun of it. So anyway, she defeats Apocalypse, but at the end of the movie, the fight creates a surge of energy, the crack booms up through the atmosphere, out into space, you follow the surge of energy across the galaxy, across to the next galaxy down the road, and Jean finds herself, wow, how'd I get here? No, sorry, Rachel finds herself, how'd I get here? Oh, I'm hungry. I'll eat the star. So you'd have a Oh, no, not done yet. Well, she eats the star. Dabari gets fried. There's a starship. They fight. She eats them. And then, like, it's like, no, no, this is wrong. I've got to go back. She goes back. It wears off. And you cut to the Shi'ar homeworld where the lounge are. <laughs> we have to find what's going on here and put it right. And the third film is Dark Phoenix, where Rachel has to come to terms with what she's done. And just in case you're wondering what this is what we're talking about here, Dark Phoenix is the setup for love. Why? Because it's the Westchester incident where seven people die. But which seven? People move out. <laughs> <laughs> so, there you go. And then you can the way it's supposed to be done. And figure out who's not dead. And um, this way, Pancake has fun. Um, everybody has fun. I mean, if I were doing it, my favorite way of doing it would be to have Pancake be the, you know, she won't let her daughter die. She takes the Phoenix into herself. She's the one who gets fried. Um, but that's a whole different thing. And I'm sure we could probably try and pay Hugh as much money, if not more, than we paid um, uh, Jessica to play. Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence, thank you. Too many J's. To come back and, you know, we could bring both back, but have him come back and we could have, you know, resolve, round up the whole storyline with the bank. But the idea was, my thought was, you create a last act in the X canon where everyone's sitting on the edge of their seat, wondering who lives, who dies. And sadly, I'm sure the same thing will happen with this iteration as happened with, with Dark Phoenix. Uh, you know, Kevin will call up and say, no, we're doing this with Iron Man, you can't. I will, you know, maybe say. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, I have to tell you, Chris, I think we've all found the next director and writer for the next two movies <laughs> for the MCU. We need to do a petition to have this man first and foremost responsible for the movies when they go to the MCU. By far. No. <laughs> well, if you get about maybe a lot of signatures, I'll find We can do it. <laughs> okay. we, got, we got the poll. We'll do it. Okay. <laughs> you realize the poll you I have no problem. I'll try my best. Ah, see. I'll try my best. No, do it. <laughs> I have one question while we're on the subject of our frustrations with the films. Uh, Cyclops was always one of my favorite characters, mm-hmm. and I feel like they butchered him to death. You have read the comic books for you. What does Cyclops mean to you? anyone who's watched the film and just don't know him as a character beyond kind of just a lackey. Well, until X Factor 1, he was a hero. Not that I'm bitter. X Factor 1 on my list of things not to do Well, I mean, it's right up there with, with Spidey petitioning Mephisto to or better yet, Kevin called that said, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I'm Peter Parker. Stanley married me to Mary Jane in Shea Stadium. Well, there's a loser right there because Shea Stadium doesn't exist anymore. We all know about the Mets haven't done anything great for 20 years. <laughs> And the world was great. And we had a baby. Ah, but wait. Why are you still Spider-Man? Well, didn't you see the Spider-Verse animated movie? Yeah, but that's an animated movie, and this is sort of like reality, isn't it? Actually, to my shame, I didn't see the movie until I was on a plane watching it. And then I thought, oh man, I should have gone to that preview. <laughs> this is the best Spider-Man movie, period. Yeah. I, I shouldn't say that because um, it was no. Uh, homecoming. Thank you. Wait, is Homecoming one or is Homecoming two? Homecoming, homecoming is first one. one. First, the new series. Far from Homecoming. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever thought of the problems, the sheer like, wait, last, I was standing right here at the foot of Manhattan, yes, looking at the Statue of Liberty, yes, what the hell is that parking lot? Oh, you've been away for five years. No, 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 I, I was here, and now I'm here again, but everything's changed. Yeah. Who sold my house? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um. Where, you know, where's my car? What happened to my, you know, it's like, Dad, what are all these tattoos and why do you shake your head? My children, you are alive. Yeah, we were alive a minute ago. <laughs> it's, it's like, gosh, Peter, you know, I'm in high school now. I'm in college. Yeah, but I'm still 16. <laughs> Oops. 
So, <clears throat> leaving that aside, Because now you're saying alternate dimensions, guys coming from. Oh, <laughs> well, it's just, it's getting. This is the scary part. This is what's always been the scary part for any kind of, of, of superhero movie. It's like when you got to back, uh, to Spidey 3. And Sam Remy suddenly had, we've got uh, uh, Sandman, and we've got the, re the return of uh, the Green Goblin, and then there's a third one, Venom. It's like, yeah, another CGI one to go. And the, the, you know, Sony wanted, there was talk of Sam coming back to do four, and he really wanted to do four, but his one, his one un, the one demand he would not budge on was, 
I only want one villain. He wanted it to be a character story. He wanted it to be a focus story. And the minute you get three, four, five villains in it, it suddenly becomes like a chaos. And the problem I worry, and it wouldn't be the first time I'm proved wrong, but you've got, hi, I'm Spidey. I've been dead for five years, but I don't know anything about that. I just fought with about 200 other guys to fight the one big giant guy in the middle of Wakanda so we could get rid of him and save the world. You know, I guess because it took place in Wakanda, nobody in the rest of the world noticed except for the fact that suddenly there are five, there are six billion people where there were only three yesterday. So everybody's pissed off because suddenly the world's gotten a lot more crowded. Mm -hmm. Boy, China and India must be pissed. Though <laughs> <laughs> um, of course it would be interesting if one were to know, yeah, but when we held the 2016 election, he really won. Now you're saying he lost by four million votes. <laughs> yeah, but they were dead. But they're not dead. <coughs> well, they're dead. No, see, we're going around in that circle. And see, that's where it gets crazy. But it's too much stuff to remember. In a comic, you can go back and read it and say, oh, this makes sense, or this doesn't make sense, or, okay, I see their train of logic. In a movie, you've only got two hours, but you're an Avengers, you've got like a day and a half. <laughs> but you've got two hours to figure this all out. And if you have to pay that much attention to figure it all out, this is dangerous. Especially if you're gonna reestablish all the romantic relationships. It, it is convenient if MJ and Peter were both banished. But if one of, the risk of getting really complicated is really dangerous. And now you throw in heroes and villains from an other dimension. That's, that's, you know, it's bad enough to have Tony, I flew through a wormhole and saw other worlds. You know, it's one thing to be a hero on Earth fighting bad guys, fighting, you know, the, uh, what's his face with, uh, like, with the electro, um, no, 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 the whiplash. Whiplash? Whiplash. I no, I used to write these guys. <laughs> but now I'm dealing with aliens. They came down and moved to New York. The world has changed. That's cool. That you can relate to. But now you're throwing in all sorts of mega stuff. We've got in humans down the line, this down the line, that down the line. That's gonna be challenging not simply for the characters but for the audience, just to keep them straight, because as I said, when you're in a two-hour movie, you can't stop, press rewind, and go back and see it again. I mean, you can buy another ticket and go back and see it again, but that might get a little pricey. So there is going to be one ridiculous challenge. Or they're going to go back and tell Scott Lang to go down into the microverse again, reboot everything, and just prevent it all from happening, period. Like, run over Iron Man with a truck back in 1965. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and just to make things even more complicated, when Captain America is smiling, you know, you gonna tell me what happened with your life, Captain? No. <laughs> so he's been sitting with um, Peggy for 50 years, watching everything happen, knowing what's coming, watching himself come back and do all the fighting, watching the Avengers come back, 
did they have children? <laughs> Do the children have the genes? Could there be different, you know, younger cap caps or capettes? I, you know, I, that, there are all sorts of interesting possibilities that, as a comic book writer, would be fun to play with. But I don't know if they're going to do it in the movie. Because the problem is, each movie is a year of somebody's life, and in the time it takes to get the movie finished and start the next one, three years will have passed. And unlike in comics, actors tend to get older. Sorry, I tend to talk a lot. <laughs> next question. Um, I think we have time for one more quick question. Hey, I was late. Can't they make the next panel late? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask you about something totally different? Sure. In the 90s, you created a series called Sovereign Seven. Yeah. And if you could talk about how that was created, and um, if you ever hope to do anything with those characters again. Yes. I, it was created because DC, you know, I'd just been fired. I wanted to do something cool. I went to Paul Levis. He said, I'd like to create a series. And he said, cool. And I said, but I'd like to create create your own series. And he said, cool. And I said, but I'd like to have it set in the DC universe. And so we cut a deal where Sovereign 7 was a creator-owned concept. It was the first one, and I think at this point, the only one. A creator-owned series set in the DC universe. So they had a license. And we would be fully integrated into the DC universe, which is why in the very first issue or the first arc, the last scene is Batman driving in to check out the town to make sure everything was okay, and then driving out again. The first villain was Darkseid, and uh, the female Furies. The first ongoing guest star was Power Girl. Power Girl seems, she should be Power Woman. <laughs> like, have you ever noticed? <laughs> in the history of comics, the Fantastic Four, we have the elderly, mature, 40, 50-year-old hero. We have his sidekick, equally 50 years old, that looks like a giant brain. We have the kid who's tough. And they're all, how should we put it, Caucasian. And then we have the girlfriend. And one, you know, one stretches, one is massively powerful, one is on fire, and one's power is to disappear completely. <laughs> Which one do you think that was? Now, is that a metaphor? How would you play that in 2018, if not 2019? So the FF is challenge as far as coming back. So you wrote the FF in 1999 and into 2000. The first thing I did was basically have Sue kick everybody's ass. <laughs> <laughs> what does she do? She gets tutored in martial arts by Iron Fist. What's the next, next thing that happened? Um, Namor makes a play for her. I mean, yeah, the whole, the whole point of the series was Sue kicks ass <laughs> because it's like, dude, she's a woman, not a girl. And they don't call her, you know, she calls herself a visible woman, but most of the series I was writing, they called her Sue or Mom or Mrs. Storm. Um, I'm Mrs. Richard, sorry. Um, but, you know, but uh, going back to Sovereign, The trouble is the, the industry imploded, like with our fourth issue, so we never really recovered. And the nice thing is I got the rights back, so I've been trying to figure out, 
for the last quarter century what to do with it. And actually, I'm doing something now, but sadly, I have to find a publisher that's willing to buy it. Mm -hmm. So I'll probably have to go back and rewrite this one. Mm -hmm. I'm trying it as a novel, mm -hmm. or a novel series. Mm -hmm. So um, as soon as I figure out how to write, <laughs> so we can sell it. So, the, you know, here's the joke. Back in 1991, there were three writers. There was J.K. Rowling, there was me, and there was George R. Martin. We both started projects. One was a story about a school. One was all about, you know, medieval knights in a galaxy far, far away. And the idiot that's left got a call from George Lucas wanting to know if he'd like to write Willow. <laughs> and my wife said, no, you don't. You want to do your own stuff because this is now. You're off the X-Men. You, you're known. You have sales. You write your own stuff. Honey, it's George Lucas. <laughs> <laughs> what does he want you to do? Willow. And she said, you're an idiot. <laughs> George Lucas. You're a bigger idiot. <laughs> you know the old rule about always listen to your wife? I am proof of it. It was a lot of fun, but when it was done, I had to find something else to do rather than keep going, building a world and, and making it sell. So for those of you who have plans for writing, you know, creating worlds, when George Lucas calls, Finish your own stuff first. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but uh, that's great. <laughs> anyway, um, no, Sovereign is cool. I like the world, I like you know, the town, I like the characters, so I've been working on it. Okay, good. All you have to do is buy it when it comes out. <laughs> I will do that. We do have to wrap things up, guys. Chris has some other things he has to take care of. There Everyone. Look, have any more questions? Come by my table. I'll be happy to answer. If you don't know, Saturday Night Live is in this issue of Chris Rook. It's actually, this, it's Marvel Team Up, Spider-Man, and the Not Ready for Primetime Players, which is how they were called then. This is the second season of SNL. It was it was a hit, but nobody knew anything about it. It was cool. And Jim Shooter and I, you can ask Jim Shooter about this too, you know, when you go by his table. We're all sitting there shooting the breeze, trying to figure out who would be cool to guest star in, in Team Up. Because it was always a challenge. It's like, who can we use in team up that we haven't used already? Who would be fun? Who would be interesting? Who would make the readers kind of go, what the was that? Let's buy another issue. So I said, wouldn't it be cool if we get started and not ready for prime time players? Like, Saturday Night Live was cool. If only we could do something like that. And so Jim said, so call him. I said, what? Call him. Ask him. They're real world. We're comic books. Stop being a wuss. Go call. <laughs> so I pick up the phone. Call NBC. Hi. Uh, Laura Michaels' office, please. Click, 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 click. Laura Michaels' office. Hi. <laughs> this is Chris Claremont of Marvel Comics. We run a, we do a comic called Marvel Team Up with starring Spider-Man. You've heard of Spider-Man? Yes. We were wondering if Lord would be interested in guest starring, doing initial guest starring, the not ready for primetime players. 
<laughs> Who is this again? Chris Claremont, Marvel Comics. And you want to guest star on the Not Ready for Primetime Players in an issue of Amazing Spider-Man and Marvel Team-Up? We'll get back to you. <laughs> so, hand click. Jim says, how'd it go? They didn't sound interested. We won't go back to talking. About five minutes later, Jim's phone rings. It's the front desk. He has a call. Uh, hi, this is Lauren Michaels' office. We just got a call from somebody. And Jim says, this is Jim Shooter, editor-in-chief, Marvel Comics. This is Lauren Michaels' office. We just got a call from someone named Chris Claremont. Oh, yeah. He's, you know, is he for real? Yeah, he's sitting right across from me. We're having a pitch meeting for not for Marvel team up, and we thought you guys might be interested in teaming up the not ready for prime primetime players with Spider-Man. Long silence. Talking back and forth, back and forth. Six weeks later, we had a contract. Okay, <laughs> better. So I have the contracts in my file. It's a one-time only release, no extensions, no nothing. We did it for free. They did it for free. Oh, yeah, try doing that now. <laughs> um, they would appear in Team Up. We weren't going to publicize it. We would just, it would be out, and that would be it. And because our point was, we really got to read this book. You never know who's going to show up. So we did the story, and I'm home working. You know, the book comes out. I'm home working one morning. Phone rings. It's Jim. Hi, Jim. Hi, Chris. How, you know, what are you doing? I'm writing. How soon can you be down here? What do you mean? John Belushi's going to be here in 30 minutes. I'll be there in 20. <laughs> now, I'm at home. I don't have to get dressed. I'm sitting there and never mind. But I, I got showered, shaved, dressed, down there in 20 minutes. John walked, what, 25? John walks in and it's like, Oh my God, it's John Belushi! <laughs> Swear to God. Oh my God, it's Marvel Comics! <laughs> yes, he's a geek. Yes. So we're in the bullpen. Well, he wasn't. And we're, we're just going, oh, oh. Peggy Cochran walks in. First thing she does is grab a, a yardstick and assume the position. <laughs> First thing Belushi does is grab a yardstick and no one can walk out. And we had some <laughs> duels on that. So John comes over to me and says, Oh, God, Chris, that was really good. I had so much fun reading it. Oh, thank God, John, you have no idea how hard it is to write comedy. <laughs> <laughs> and he gives me a look. And it's like, I said something. What did I say? I never looked at the credits. You know, the fact that he wrote. So Jim pats me on the head. Don't worry, John, we only let him out on the <laughs> so, John looks at us and he says, you guys want to come to the premiere of Animal House? Oh. No. <laughs> wow. Again, Radio City. And we all go, yeah. So, okay, it's done. Hour later, we get a call. Oh, we're really sorry. We sold out Radio City. Oh. There are no seats left. Oh, well, we understand. So, would you guys like to come to the launch party instead? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so
so we go to the launch party down in the village, and it is a trip. So we're standing there, all of us Marvel people are going, um, that's Jenny and Gunner. Oh my God. Why didn't you go over and say hello? Oh my God. <laughs> you know, no, I didn't. Because I just seen walk about and she's like gorgeous. But that's all the story. I So we're giving out pages. And John comes over and gets his page. Um, oh God. Um, Thank you.